BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, Check the Locks family. You may have noticed that we were off last week and definitely apologize for not having an episode. But I wanted to take a moment before we started and share some truly heartbreaking news. On Friday, May 19th, our team took a terrible loss. Our friend, collaborator, and one of the best people that I've ever had the opportunity to know, Matt Halliday, passed away. To say that our hearts are broken is an understatement. Many of you know that Matt was our post-production editor. He was the reason that this podcast sounded as good as it has. But Matt was so much more. He cared deeply about the environment and he strived to restore natural habitats. He was also really excited at the potential of working directly with the Environmental Protection Agency and was just so passionate about what he did. Matt was also an incredibly gifted musician and a recording engineer. He spent so much of his energy helping others realize and achieve their sound. And I can tell you from experience in recording my first records with Matt almost 20 years ago, he really pushed you to be your best. But most importantly, Matt was my friend. He was my creative champion for almost 20 years. And when I asked him to assist Olivia and myself in creating this podcast and doing the production work, he said yes automatically. And it wasn't because he knew this was going to be some successful podcast. It was because he truly believed in me like he always did. We ask that you please keep Matt's family and his wife in your thoughts during this difficult time. We can't imagine what they're going through, and they need all of the love and the positivity and the light in the world right now. Needless to say, we've spent this last week processing and trying to plan a way forward. I could never fill Matt's shoes, but I'm going to do my absolute best to honor him with the work that we put into this show and making sure that it sounds as good as it can the exact same way that Matt did. So thank you for understanding. We did post about this in the socials, but if you don't follow us there, we wanted to make sure that we were letting you know why we were off. If this show means a lot to you and you're interested in sending flowers or maybe planting a tree in Matt's name, please reach out. We would love to get you that information. And from here on out, every episode of Check the Locks podcast will be dedicated with love to the memory of our friend, our collaborator, our partner, Matthew Scott Halliday. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
Welcome back to Check the Locks podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, as always, it's wonderful to see you. I know that you're like me. This is the recording session we have before we're both heading out on vacation. So how are you feeling? Are you ready for your trip? I am ready to get to my destination. I am not ready for my trip because I haven't packed a bag yet and I leave um, in just under uh, 12 hours. See, we don't leave until Saturday, so we're recording this on a Thursday. We're leaving on Saturday, so I've got some time tomorrow, but between editing and packing, I'm like, "Ah, it's going to be pushing. My goal is to not have to take my laptop on vacation so I can just enjoy the beach. So that's what I'm striving for. But if you're anything like me, I'm just excited to be in the sand, see the ocean, not have to worry about picking up a device for a while. Are you feeling the same way? Yes, I'm ready to sit there. Just look at the ocean, soak up some sun, read a book, and just relax. Really use this vacation as some R&R. I feel like all my other trips are like, go, 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 go. I'm going to use this vacation to learn how to read a book. So that's going to be my goal. I'm going to be like, can I figure out how to read? Have you picked a book to read? No, I don't read. I don't read. I have attention deficit disorder. It's like the worst thing in the world. But I am really excited because we're going with some family. They're bringing their daughter, which is like Millie's best friend. They go to the babysitter together, everything like that. So it's going to be a trip for the girls to have a lot of fun and things like that. So it'll be cool to have her on her first beach trip where she really knows what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm excited to see all her sandcastles she makes. Oh, I will definitely send you pictures for sure. Well, this week is my episode, and Olivia, I'm hoping that you've never heard this story because when I researched it, I had never heard about it, and as I went through, I was like, this is kind of insane, and I found myself having to research things that I just never thought I would be researching doing this show, so I was really excited to dive into it. I'm hoping that you like it. I'm hoping that our listeners like it. I don't know. I'm really excited to talk about it. Should we just jump in? Yeah, and I'm going to say just by kind of glancing at your notes, I have not heard of this one. Sweet. Well, I'm really excited to see what you think as we go through. I think the deadbolt test on this is going to be very interesting. I'm going to give you a heads up. It is like a particular set of circumstances that I don't think either (laughs) one of us is really going to be able to relate to, but it's still going to be fun to talk it out. And again, really excited to hear what the listeners think and if they have ever heard of the story. So please let us know. Make sure you're reaching out and letting us know if this is anything that you're familiar with. Well, jump right in. Tell us what you got. You got it. On a November night in 1992, Grady Stiles Jr. sat inside his trailer in Gibsonton, Florida. His wife, Mary, was leaving to visit some nearby relatives. And once she was gone, Stiles sat in his underwear watching TV with a glass of iced tea. But unbeknownst to Grady Stiles, there was another man in his home, hiding in a dark back room. And when Stiles wasn't paying attention, the man crept out. And Grady was shot twice in the head with a 32 caliber gun. Now... In this case, Olivia, the death is just the beginning. To understand the big picture, we actually have to go all the way back to the time of the Great Depression. So I told you this one's going to be a little bit different than the ones that we normally do. Yeah, like we're going way back from 1992 to the Great Depression. Yeah, because Grady Stiles Jr. was born on July 18th, 1937 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And like his father, Grady was born with a rare birth defect called ectrodactyly. And I wanted to ask you, Olivia, are you familiar with that, you know, from your nursing experience, things of that nature? Yeah, I think it's webbed feet. I think that's when your toes and your fingers are kind of webbed. So you're very close. 
This is a genetic condition that causes a person's fingers or toes to be fused together. So it may be web feet, you know, the webbing in between. But in this case, because of the condition, Grady's hands actually resembled claws. Yeah, I just Googled an image and it definitely is not webbed feet. It is definitely look like it's almost like you have less fingers and more of a claw. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see. Now, what is really interesting is that the Stiles family had a history of this condition dating back to the early 1800s. Additionally, in the 1930s, carnivals were pretty common, as were sideshow attractions. And Gary Stiles Sr. was a performer in these shows. And he actually brought his son into the act at just seven years old. Grady Stiles Jr. condition also affected his feet, making it impossible for him to walk. And because of this, for most of his life, he actually used a wheelchair. But he also learned how to crawl and drag himself around. And this resulted in Stiles Jr. having a sizable amount of upper body strength. Eventually, Grady Stiles Jr. would become known as the Lobster Boy. And he earned that nickname again because his hands resembled lobster claws. And Grady was popular. In fact, his circus show was known around the world. And at that time, Grady was making anywhere between fifty dollars to $80,000 a season. Now, fifty dollars to $80,000 now doesn't really sound like that much, but at the time, it was extremely well. And in my research, I found that Styles was performing in 1960. So if you take that amount, the $80,000, and adjust it for inflation, today versus 1960, that's actually $819,900 per season, which is insane. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, $80,000 in 1960, I feel like is a lot. Yeah, and that's per season. So that's just like spring to the end of fall before the winter hit. Now, what's more interesting is that Styles even shows up in pop culture today. He's been referenced in HBO's Carnivale and FX's American Horror Story. And while working in the popular show, Styles would eventually meet his first wife, another member of the carnival, Mary Herzog. She was a teenager who had ran away to join the circus. And when I found that in my research, I was like, I've always heard that. Like when I was a little kid, like my mom would be like, what are you going to do? Run away and join the circus. And I didn't mm-hmm. think that it was actually like a legit thing that people did. Yeah, it really was. I mean, I still think people do that. It's just crazy to think of this time in like the 40s up through the 60s where people would literally just be like, I'm out and then just hope to link up with a carnival or a circus somewhere. It's it's crazy. Now, Mary wasn't working in an act, but she was a staff member of the carnival and the couple would go on to have two daughters, Donna and Catherine. And like her father, Catherine was born with ectrodactyly. Now, keeping the tradition alive, Grady would include his children in the circus show, naming the act the Lobster Family. They would travel together and perform throughout the year. And during the off season, the family would live in Gibsonton, Florida. Gibsonton is also known as Showtime USA, or at least it was at the time. This was a point in history where the American carnival thrived and Gibsonton was the place to be. It was only 12 miles south of Tampa, but it was a self-described carny town with nearly 15,000 residents. And the warm evenings were great for repairing carnival rides, tigers being trained, and stunts being perfected. For this nomadic culture, it was a safe place to hang their hats. But as an adult, Grady developed some dark vices. He was an alcoholic who would smoke three packs of cigarettes a day, and Seagram 7 with a splash of Coke was his drink of choice. He was also known to be physically and verbally abusive, especially to his wife and daughters. Grady used his upper body strength and claw-like hands to choke his wife, Mary, saying that they were surprisingly good for it. 
And in an interview for the AMC series Freak Show, Grady's son from another wife, Grady Styles III, said, My father was a racist and abusive. When I cried, he was like, I will give you a reason to cry. So I just want to stop right there because this picture is being painted of him. You know, he's got this worldwide fame at the time for this genetic defect. But at home, he's just abusive and mean and drinking. And I was just wondering where you were so far. Well, my first thought is all he does all day is smoke cigarettes. Yeah, three packs is a lot. As someone who smokes cigarettes, I can tell you three packs is a ton That's a lot of cigarettes. That's all he's doing all day. I don't know how he's time to practice in the carnival. But this is just really weird. And then I got a visual of him like using his claws to like try to choke somebody. And that just wasn't, I don't know. It seems strange. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting visual. And especially when he said like, hey, no, you know, my hands were made pretty well for choking people out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, eventually Grady Styles would throw Mary and his daughters out of the home. Now, Mary would go on to remarry Harry Glenn Newman or as many knew him, the world's smallest man. Grady would also remarry a woman named Barbara Browning, and the couple would have two more children. His son, Grady Styles III, would share his father's condition. Now, in 1978, around the time that he remarried, Grady's daughter Donna was a teenager, and like many teenagers, she met a boy and she fell in love. In fact, the young couple planned to get married. And in my research, I found that she had told her father that she was pregnant as an excuse to get married, even though she wasn't. And Grady Styles definitely disapproved. He wasn't about to let his daughter get married. Now, the details of exactly what happened next are foggy at best. It's unknown if either Grady invited the boy over or if Grady went to the boy's home the night before the wedding. But it was likely under the ruse of giving his blessing for their marriage. And when the two men met face to face, Grady drew a shotgun and fired and Donna's fiance was killed. Now, according to reports, as his daughter Donna held her fiance in her arms, Grady looked at her with a smile and said, I told you I'd kill him. So before we go any further, I know we just kind of touched base, but it seems like we're really painting a picture of this guy. And I'm just wondering where your head is. I mean, I'm just already assuming that Grady Styles Jr. is guilty of whatever crime is to come. I mean, we know he shot somebody, but I can't imagine what else is going to come through this. Like, we're still in 1979, and this initial stuff, I think, was in 19... Or what we were talking about is in 1992, correct? Yeah, that's when he is murdered, is in 1992. Okay. So, Grady Styles would go to court for the murder in 1979, and he pled guilty, but he had a few tricks up his sleeve. Grady shared with the court that there was no way that he could be sent to prison. He pointed to the fact that there was not a single prison in Pennsylvania that was equipped to handle his condition. And by this age, Grady had already developed cirrhosis of the liver and emphysema from the smoking. He argued that sending him to any prison at all would qualify as cruel and unusual punishment. And surprisingly, the court didn't really have much of a choice but to agree. Grady Styles Jr. was convicted of third-degree murder in 1979, However, he was sentenced to 15 years of probation, which I don't know if you feel the same way, Olivia, but to me, I'm like, that is super ballsy where you're like, I'm going to murder this guy. I'm going to go to court and be like, well, you can't send me to prison. Look at me. Yeah. Like I am a disabled, falling apart, drinking too much, smoking too many cigarettes, old, he's not even really an old man. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's brave. Like you can't, you can't put me in prison. Look at me. Like I'm, I'm part of the circus. And the court was like, yeah, you're right. Okay. (laughs) We can't do that. Okay, sure. But yeah, it just kind of blew my mind that he would be in court and just be like, your honor, you can't do anything about this. 
And they're like, yeah, you're right. Heary, heary in murder court. Right. Now, by 1989, Grady had actually divorced his second wife. And for reasons no one understood, he reconnected with his first wife, Mary Herzog. Now, Mary has stated that her love for Grady drove her back to his arms. And in 1989, the couple remarried. Grady promised his hard drinking and abusive days were behind him. But after only two weeks, Grady was back to his mean old self. And the family's traveling circus show also continued. In fact, they had a 10 in one performance, which featured a human pincushion, a human blockhead, Burmese pythons, a gorilla lady illusion act, and a sideshow of animal oddities. But the lobster boy was still the star. And just like the show continued, so did the violence. Mary claimed that Grady sexually abused her. She also recalled waking up to whiskey breath with a butcher knife to her throat. And according to Mary, while holding the knife, Grady said, one of these days, I'm going to kill you and your family. He then dropped the blade and crawled away. And in Mary's mind, something had to be done before the unthinkable happened. So she turned to her son, Harry Glenn Newman III. Now, if you remember, that is her son with Harry Glenn Newman II, who was the world's smallest man. Now, Harry was a round-faced and chubby young man. He had an IQ of only 79, and he also performed in the family show. Newman was the aforementioned human blockhead, and he would drive nails into his nostrils with a hammer. After sharing her concern with her son, Mary gave Harry $1,500 to hire a killer, and Harry turned to a 17-year-old classmate and neighbor, Christopher Wyant. Now, it was Wyant who would be hiding in the trailer on that November night and kill Grady Stiles. But what's interesting is when asked, none of them denied the murder. According to Mary Herzog, it was a case of kill or be killed. In 1992, Christopher Wyant was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 27 years in prison. Mary's son, Harry, was also charged. And at his trial, he claimed he was only trying to protect his mother. But it only took the jury roughly an hour to convict him of first-degree murder. And on October 14, 1992, Harry Glenn Newman III was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years which I thought was super interesting because Christopher Wyant, who committed the murder, only got 27 years, but her son who hired him got life with 25 years before he could be paroled. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I was like, man, it's crazy. It seems like the person who actually pulled the trigger would get the stiffer sentence. Well, we should also just go back to when Grady got off for murder in 1979, you know, just call it one for one. You know, obviously they were acting in self-defense in a way. I mean, it wasn't set up that way, but that's kind of how they saw it. Kill or be killed. So, I mean, like, just wipe your hands clean. But I do think it's weird that the guy who actually murdered him got less time than his son. Well, what's interesting is that Harry, her son, was her child with Harry Glenn Newman II, who was the world's smallest man. So he was a little person. And their son didn't get that same trait from their dad the same way that Grady's children got it from him. For me, with his IQ only being 79, I was surprised that he got so much time because to me, that seems like it would be like some kind of cognitive impairment. I don't know. Yeah, almost like he could have been manipulated into doing something, you know, not knowing right from wrong. Right. So it was just very interesting that, you know, to me that the person who didn't pull the trigger ended up getting more time for the planning. Now, Mary would also have to face a jury. And during the trial, her daughter, Catherine, would testify on her mother's behalf. She shared that her father, Grady, was like Satan himself. Very cruel, very cold-hearted, 
very sadistic. Catherine, who shared her father's condition, recalled trying to break up a fight between her parents in 1990. At the time, she was seven months pregnant. And when she attempted to intervene, Grady Stiles began to hit her violently. The next day, she was rushed to the hospital where her daughter was born prematurely. Now, her daughter did survive, but you know that's almost three months premature. Now, in the end, Mary Herzog was sentenced to only 12 years for her role in planning the murder. She would unsuccessfully appeal her conviction and began serving her sentence in 1997. Mary was released in the year 2000 and is reportedly still living in Florida. Christopher Wyant was released in 2009 and appears to be staying off the radar. And according to prison records, Harry Glenn Newman III died in prison in 2014. Now, during the trials, Grady Stiles' body was laid to rest. But in the end, his hateful ways got the best of him. There wasn't even a single person to volunteer to be his pallbearer. And that's this week's case, Olivia. I told you it was a lot different, I think, than stuff that we've normally done. But I wanted to pick your brain because for me, this was just a like a whole family tree of true crime and absurdity and just craziness. And I thought it would be fun to cover. So didn't know what you think. Where are you at? What do you think? This is definitely probably the most bizarre case we've had. <laughs> um I honestly don't feel bad for Grady. You know, it's kind of like a what goes around comes around situation. I mean, ultimately, no one deserves to die. But, you know, it's like the wife said, it's kill or be killed. And I think after all the abuse that all of the family had suffered through, like, I'm not surprised that this ended up in a spouse killing, you know, her husband, but just really weird. And then I'm surprised that no one from the circus days wanted to come be his pallbearer. Well, what I found was really crazy about the story is that it was very hard to get definite facts. So if you go into the show notes of this episode, you're going to see like a crazy list of sources. And I think a lot of it is because of the lore that was around Grady at the time, right? Like, I think it's kind of hard for us to comprehend in today's world how famous he was at that time for being a circus performer. And when you talk about the other circus acts, I remember that in the research, you know, they're basically saying like Mary should have just shot him himself. That would have helped her case, you know, instead of paying somebody else to do it, it backed up her story. There was also a part of an article that I read that said at one point he ripped out Mary's IUD with his bare hands. And so that's just like there's so much stuff around it that I was trying to make sure I was really pinpointing the stuff that I could say, like, this is actually fact. But it's it's almost like a uh, like a like a folktale of some sorts. You know what I mean? It sounds like a story that would kind of be passed around a campfire. Yeah, I agree. It's just definitely a weird story. It's like a folklore. You, I could see where doing research, you would find that, oh, I don't know if this is true. Does this really have credibility? But then it's like hard to say, like, who knows what was happening along this like circus pact and, you know, who was afraid of who and who was really being abusive. And, you know, it was was definitely an odd one. So, yeah, the deadbolt test is going to be interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree. The deadbolt is going to be very interesting. And with that in mind, I mean, talk to me a little bit about where you are. I have a feeling that's going to be rather low, but, you know, still interested to see what you think. Yeah, I'm going to put this one low on the deadbolt test. I'm going to give it a three only because, you know, I'm not traveling in the circuses. But I think I should rate it a little bit higher, but I'm going to stick with a three. I hate these these cases of spouses murdering spouses, but I find that as we go on, that's kind of the moral of the story. Like, that's what happens all the time. Everybody's murdering their spouse. And I just don't understand why you can't just separate. Well, what's crazy to me is that they did. And they got back together. Yeah. You know, I feel bad for her in a way because, you know, she fell for the 
like, oh, baby, I'm going to be different. I'm different now. You know what I mean? And it's like people don't really change. I just feel bad for her that she got roped back into it. And it's hard not to feel bad, even though she paid someone to kill her husband. I feel bad for her. Yeah. And her her husband was not a good person at all. It's hard to not feel bad for her. These are the cases that end up in like domestic abuse where the woman gets killed because she keeps going back or she doesn't leave. And I mean, I guess fortunately and unfortunately, you know, she was able to protect herself. And it's just sad that someone's life had to be lost. But he also shouldn't have been abusing her for all these years, you know, and their children. Like what he did to his daughter that was pregnant. I mean, come on. And for me, I think I'm going to come in with you and I'm going to give the same three. And the reason for that is simply because of what the wife and the kids had to go through. You know, this story for me was way more going through. I was like, man, like this is historically kind of crazy. Like I'm going back and like researching the history of this like carnival town and the people that were there and stuff like that. So that's what made it stick out to me. And I thought was really, really interesting about it. But at the end of the day, I'm not worried about my, you know, abusive spouse with the lobster boy coming after me. You know what I mean? So, but it was definitely an interesting one. It's definitely the most different one we've done, I will say. Yeah, that's what I was saying is that I've never like, you know, I read about this Gibsonton town and I was like, well, apparently there's some big like, quote, Carney town, self-described Carney town. So now I've got to like dive in and find out what they're doing there. And it was crazy to think that 15,000 people who just worked at carnivals in the wintertime would be like, this is our home now and just descend on the place. So historically, and like I said, it was kind of that folklore piece. I was just like, this is really crazy. Is the town still considered a Carney town? So I believe to some extent it still is. In my research, I found that they're actually filming a movie about Gibson Town uh, that's going to come out and is going to focus specifically on the carnival history or like the the history of, of the people who would kind of settle there in the off season. Oh, that's cool. From what I could find, it still has that element, but it is, I don't believe it is as strong as it was before. So still really, really interesting, though, just to think that, like, you could go to this town in December and just run into some guy who's like, I'm just training my big cats or like we're working on a trap heat. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Well, this was a good one. It was definitely entertaining. It was kind of nice to have something that we could sort of laugh about without being so, you know, we've had some heavy hitters the last couple of weeks. So this one was kind of like a breath of fresh air. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test. Olivia and I are both giving this odd story a three, but we want to know where does Grady Styles Jr., the lobster boy, fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. Talk about this case. We want to know what you think. We want to get to know you, get to interact with you. Olivia, researching this case was like a trapeze act. I had to figure out what was right, what was wrong. It was just like I was bouncing on a high wire. I need a palate cleanser. Do you have a five-star review for us? That was a good one. That's probably the best one yet. Thank you. I do have a five-star review, and this week's comes from JinHud20. They said, very informative and well-done podcast. Hosts are very engaging and easy to listen to. So thank you, JinHud20. Let us know who you are so we can send you some cool Check the Lock stuff. Yeah, my stickers finally came, the ones that UPS lost. They finally came in, so I'm pumped about that. And Jen, we would love to send you some of the cool stuff that we have. 
And I just want to take a moment and say thank you on behalf of myself and Olivia. We live busy lives. We do a lot, right? To sit down and write a review, even to pull out your phone, write a review. It takes some time and you could be doing something else. So just want to let you know, we really do appreciate it. Thank you for leaving that review. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. If you're in our Facebook group, give us a holler there. We would love to get you some stuff. Just let us know where to send it. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read on the podcast, what's the best way to do that? They need to head on over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, scroll all the way down to the bottom where you see all five stars, click all five stars, leave us a little bit of love, tell us what you like about Check the Locks, and maybe we'll read yours next week. Exactly what Olivia said. Head on over. If you need a shortcut or a cheat code, you can go into the description of this episode. There's a link right there that'll take you. And we talk about this every week, but these reviews really help us. They get us into other shows' recommendations. They help us to grow the audience, find new listeners, find new members of our family. And ultimately, that's exactly what we want to do. So if you have taken the time, you left us that review from the bottom of our hearts. We appreciate it more than we could tell you. And if not, head on over. Be like Jen Hud. Only takes a couple of minutes to do. Drop that review. Let us know what you think. We would greatly appreciate it. And as always, if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. You can sign up today. Lots of cool bonus things like stickers, exclusive coffee mugs, T-shirts, all for being a patron. Plus, you get ad-free episodes that drop a little bit early. So no commercials, get to listen to a little bit sooner. And most importantly, it really helps us out. So if you want to help us keep the lights on, it's something that you're able to do. Again, become a Patreon. Check out patreon.com forward slash check the locks. And if you can't financially support the show, we definitely understand. Times are where they are. And I promise I say this every episode, but I truly mean it. Just listening to the show and sharing it with your friends means just as much, if not more. So if you're hanging out with us every week, you're telling your friends about it, you're sharing those links on the socials, things of that nature, just know that we really, really appreciate it. That is the best way to get the word out about the show, to help new people find it, and again, just grow our audience, grow our family. That is all that we have for this week's case, but please make sure you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case, but until then, don't forget to Check the Locks. See you next week. Have a good one. Dun, 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 dun.